0: As I mentioned before, we're in the Christmas season and that's where people start thinking about presents and stocking stuffers. At least it seemed like that. We were out the other night and it was just busy people shopping and doing all sorts of stuff. But because Christmas is a time, I mean, it's kind of become a time of giving gifts as turned into our the tradition. You know, we spend a lot of time finding the perfect gift for our loved ones, um, family and friends, or sometimes the perfect gift card, right, depending because you can't figure out what they want. So you give them a gift card or something. But I wanted to consider that thought of giving gifts because almost 2,000 years ago, wise men traveled from the East to find the King of the Jews, and they had gifts they wanted to give to them. It's quite a remarkable story when you think about it how they understood the scriptures and the prophecy to travel all that way to come to a little town and to find Jesus born there and and how God prompted their hearts and they were led by a star and you know to give him those gifts and so I wanted to look at that concept that story and then those gifts that they gave and so perhaps and and what they represent for christ and for our lives so that perhaps we too might be able to give gifts unto the king of kings that are precious to him and so i want to look together with the story of the wise men and how they came and what they gave and and that's found in matthew chapter 2 it's the christmas story You know, sometimes you read this during the christmas season and so Matthew 2 and verse 1 says, When Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem. And they said, Where is he that was born king of the Jews? They, maybe they thought everyone would know. And to their surprise, only they knew. Uh, For we have seen his star in the east, and we've come to worship him. And when Herod the king heard these things, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with them. They were kind of surprised. They, they weren't as in tune as these wise men were to what was taking place in God's kingdom. And so they, they saw the star and they traveled from the east to Jerusalem. And, you know, they tell Herod, the star is proclaiming the birth of the king of the Jews. And, um, you know, they studied the stars, you know, and people did that in that sense, you know, believing that God used to speak to use the stars to speak to man, which is actually supported by the scriptures, you know and you can read that in Psalm nineteen and verse one, it says, "The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament shows his handiwork. you know God uses the heavens and the stars to proclaim uh the message of his glory Of course, this is different from astrology, right people Look at the stars and say, this is going to happen in your life, right? We don't, we don't subscribe to that, um, right, to give meaning to our personal lives. Uh, but this no, the stars give meaning to the message of Christ. And so the stars on that day were proclaiming the birth of Christ and led the wise men there. What's interesting is those wise men, they understood that message, And, you know, it's thought that they came from Persia or Babylon, that they were um, uh, wise men, so to speak, learned men from them. Some have theorized that because of their familiarity with biblical prophecy, um, that perhaps they were influenced by Daniel, that there was a lasting legacy. That's just a theory. I'm not, you know, proclaiming that as fact. But yet it's interesting how wise men could be clued in to this tiny book of the prophet Micah because that's what they were quoting from, right? That, and, uh, you know, knowing that Christ will be born in Bethlehem, Judah. But, you know, Daniel, he had prophecies concerning the coming of the Messiah and his being cut off. And so you wonder if the, he had a legacy there among the wise men you know, and, and then concerning the star, what's interesting is, is that many people believe that this star in the Gospel of Matthew perhaps was not uh, a literal star, but it was planets shining brightly in the sky, and, and perhaps several planets had a conjunction where they joined together and shine and it caused a very bright star, because uh, planets can actually, because of their appearance, they can move in the sky. Um, that to form a great light they overlay over each other i say this because we're actually coming into a conjunction this month which is pretty neat uh, december 21st jupiter and saturn will be the closest they've been in 800 years and uh, actually the last time it would have been visible to man and the naked eye would have been 1226 so even farther because the uh, 800 years ago it was too close to the sun to see with the naked eye so if you're able to, look in the southwest sky on the evening of December 21st and you might see something interesting, maybe perhaps even similar to what the wise men saw. And so back to the story. Uh, and so the news that the wise men brought confounded uh, Herod and the Jews, uh, perhaps in part because they weren't looking for it. They weren't attentive and clued in to what God was doing in his kingdom and so they were surprised and so Herod calls the wise men and conferring with them and maybe he said why didn't you know tell me about this before we didn't know then they said well where is the messiah going to be born and they also could point to the prophet Micah that from Bethlehem Judah would come forth the ruler of Israel and then he asked the wise men about the star and he told them you know about it and that it was foretelling that a that a child would be born and and, and continuing on in Matthew two and verse nine, it says and um, well I should say Herod asked the wise men, let them know when they found him, found the, the child. And and in verse nine it says, When they heard the king, they departed, and uh, lo the star which they saw in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. That's quite extraordinary, isn't it? When they saw the star they rejoiced with exceeding joy and when they were come into the house they saw the young child with Mary his mother and fell down and worshiped him and when they had opened their treasures they presented him with gifts gold frankincense and myrrh and so they followed this star moving through the heavens until you know it rested and pointed the way to Bethlehem where they found Jesus and they fell down and worshiped him because they recognized he was not just a child born among men but he was God and so they presented Christ with three gifts and what's significant is that these were gifts that were kingly gifts they wouldn't have been given to your average person they would have been given to royalty and so that so the wise men were proclaiming Christ as king, even though he was born in, this, in the manger. The king of the Jews, as they said to Herod. That, that didn't sit well with Herod, you know, that the king of the Jews was just born, you know. In fact, Bethlehem was right next to one of the most, uh, the greatest palaces that Herod had. It was about five miles outside of, of Bethlehem. So, you know, some people might have looked at the prophecy of of Micah and said, okay, the Messiah is going to be born in Bethlehem. Oh, look at this palace right next to Bethlehem. And all their eyes were on that, when in reality Christ was born in a manger in Bethlehem. And so the wise men came and gave these beautiful kingly gifts to Jesus. And I want to look with you at these three gifts yeah, I'm going to stretch it out a little bit. We can have a, a Christmas month of looking at these gifts, or at least in the next three weeks anyway. There are three gifts. Um, to see what they meant for Christ, what they represent for his life, and, but also what they represent for us and what God wants to do in us and through us so that we can then present that gift to Christ to glorify him. And so the first gift that the wise men gave was a gift of gold. Of course, that's obviously something very valuable, right? That there's, it's a treasure. Um, But in the Bible, gold can represent divinity. What is divine and holy, right? We see that in the tabernacle of Moses and the temple of Solomon that was full of gold um, because it represents God, and his divine nature, his glory. And so um in the tabernacle, the furniture was covered with gold. The candlestick was made out of pure gold. And you know, in the in the temple it also had the golden furniture, but then gold was overlaid on the walls. So you walked into, you know, the most holy place and the holy place, and it would have just been quite something to for that shining gold to be surrounded by shining gold. But that was the representation of the glory of God and coming into his presence. And so the gift of gold by the wise men proclaimed Christ not just a king, but as a divine king of glory. Who is the king of glory? The Lord strong and mighty. He is the king of glory. And so he was a man, and yet he was more than a man. He is God. And so that was... You know, and that's really one of the most important things to remember um, and understand that He is God, to acknowledge Him as our Creator, to acknowledge that He's our Father. You know, I, I mean, we can, we can understand He's our Father, He's our friend, He's our encourager, but above all else, He's God, and we have to follow Him as, as such. So those wise men were presenting the gold, and they were, Saying, This is much more than a child. This is God coming down to men, and they were acknowledging God. Now, we understand that the gold, you know, what it meant for Christ, but what does it mean for us, right? How can that have a meaning for our own lives other than, right, coming into the holy presence of God? Um, Because, in a sense, Christ came. To be a gift right so he was given gifts but he also came to be a gift to mankind because he gave of himself he came down from the glories of heaven into that low place in the manger to give himself to a life on earth and then a death on the cross so that he can rise up to glory and we can rise up with him and so he gave himself as a gift he died so that we could live eternally but it means so much more than us just receiving eternal life. There's so much more to that. Because there's an aspect, there, there's kind of a twofold thought here with gold, because you know, we have a fallen nature. We're corrupt. And Christ's blood and his nature covers us. So that's all that God sees. He wipes away our sin and he covers us. Right? We can see that from the tabernacle. The furniture was made out of wood. Wood can speak of our humanity because it, it, you know, in natural form, it's rough, it's knotty, it's not you know not very nice until it's shaped and smooth. And su- but not even that as that furniture was shaped and smoothed into beautiful furniture, then it was covered over with gold. God wants to work in us and shape us into something beautiful, a beautiful vessel. then he wants to cover us with his divine nature. And so it's as if the nature of God is to be a covering over the nature of man. We are no longer seen, but Christ is seen in us. And so there's that that aspect of the covering, but yet we know from Scripture that that's more than a figure of speech. It represents what God wants to do in each of our lives. Not just cover us, but transform us to be like Him. Mm -hmm. God's desire is that something would take place within us so that our very nature is changed in the garden we were made in the image of god weren't we and then sin came in and we fell down from that that place we and we continue to fall short because of sin falling short of the glory but god's goal is to bring us back to that place of his image being seen in us romans 8 and verse 29 For whom he did foreknow, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. And as I said, there's that duality of truth there, is we're covered by his nature and that's, you know, at salvation and that's what the Father sees and so that allows us entrance into the kingdom of heaven. But yet our calling is to be conformed into Christ's image in our life in our hearts, to display Christ as others see, see our lives. But the thing is, is we know that that's not just, okay, Lord, I accept you as my Savior. Now you're seen through me, right? Because that's not always the case, that Christ is seen through us so easily. But it, it can often involve a deep work of God working within us. And that's the other aspect of gold, right? Because we know gold just doesn't pop out of the ground, this nice, shiny object it has to be it has to be purified it has to be worked on job talked about the trial he was enduring that's that's where you you kind of your mind automatically goes to when you think about gold being worked in relation to someone's life you think of job he went through a trial like no other but we realized through reading that book that he was God was working in job it was an intense trial the furnace was cranked up and it was intense but god was working in his life in his nature to produce something beautiful job 23 and verse 10 in the midst of the trial job could proclaim this because he he understood what god was doing he said god he knows my way meaning god knows the way that i take and when he has tried me i shall come forth as gold I shall forth co- come forth as gold, job knew this is no fun, but God's doing something in me so that when I come out of it i 'm going to come out like gold that's been refined and purified, and now it's ready for a display of beauty, and for Christ Christ his image to be formed in us, there's that refining and working that has to take place where sometimes We pass through the furnace and, you know, as the scriptures say, we're chosen in the furnace of affliction. But gold is really an interesting metal. When you think about some of the properties of gold in the natural, um, it really gold, it's like God created a substance that is to represent his kingdom, the truths of his kingdom, because you know, his work within us, because you think about it, it's rare. It's beautiful. It can be turned into something beautiful. It's precious. It's everlasting. I'll mention that in a moment. And in its purest form, it's very soft. That That's kind of a surprising thing. I Actually, I don't know if I've ever held 24 karat gold and tried it, but a friend of mine, Worked in the gold industry, and and he said that twenty four karat gold is pretty interesting because um, it's so soft you can poke it with your fingernail and leave an indent. And you wouldn't think that with a metal, but when there's all all other elements removed from gold, you know, and when it's ninety nine point nine 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 nine, you can't get it perfectly pure. Not in not on Earth anyway. The heavenly gold is so pure it's transparent. We hear, but. uh Still, when it's pure gold, it's soft and almost malleable. I thought that was interesting when (laughs) my friend said, yeah, I put my fingernail in it and it left an (laughs) end. But uh, isn't that indicative of the work that God wants to do in us? Because the ultimate place he wants to bring us to is instead of having a hard heart, we have a soft heart of flesh. That's the glor, glor, work of glory and of gold that God wants to do within us. Maybe God has done a work. Maybe he, we've allowed him to do it, but it's only 16 karat gold. There's still some other stuff in there. It's, it's shiny. It's beautiful. You know, I've got a gold ring on. I, I actually don't know. It's probably 16 karat. I don't know how what it is. It's pretty tough. You know, but you know it's mixed with other elements but the purer and purer we get the softer and softer we our heart becomes you know so there can still be that little hardness in there but if we allow god to keep working to keep touching our lives and sometimes we have to, he has to bring us in and out of the furnace and keep skimming things off our lives and we say lord is there can, how much more is in there but he knows But if we allow him to keep working, he can cause his glory to be displayed in us through our lives. It involves a work of purification. right? Like those metals, they they get heated up to a certain temperature so that the impurities rise to the top and they're skimmed off and then that happens however many times it needs to for it to become totally pure. It's repeated again and again. I read about one refiner um, and he used the old fashioned method of just heating it and literally just taking a tool and skimming it off and just kept doing that. And, and so this, this refiner, he was asked about this, right? He just kept heating it and skimming the impurities off the surface. He was asked, how many times do you perform this operation? And, and repeat talking about gold in specific and uh, like, how do you know when the metal's pure? And he replied, I do it until I can see a clear reflection of myself when I look into the liquid ore. And that's kind of a good illustration. How do we know that we're pure or that a pure work of purity is done or, you know, how, what's that concept? It's when we're purified so that it's not us that's being seen, it's Christ being seen in us. It's his reflection that people see, not our nature, not our reactions, our words, our concepts, and so forth. Those are all the things that God needs to bring to the surface. You know, it's amazing how you can think, boy, God's given me victory in that area. Praise the Lord. And then here we go again. He brings you and something else comes to the top. and, And sometimes it's so discouraging. It's like, Lord, I thought I had the victory. But you know what God's doing? He's actually, it's a further blessing because he's just, you wouldn't know unless it comes to the surface. It's only when it comes to the surface that it can be removed. And so sometimes we can be so discouraged. like this I'm rotten. I just feel rotten to the core. I just keep reaction after reaction. But you know, as we come to God, and and submit it to Him. That's the key. We have to come to the one who skims those things off and say, Lord, I had another wrong reaction. I got upset or I said this thing or I felt this thing in my heart or was drawn towards this thing. Lord, would you skim it off? Or as we've talked in previous messages, Lord, would you circumcise my heart? Make me new. Make me clean. Remove the impurities. But you know as we keep doing that, and we follow to the end in each area of our heart, all right? and this is, you know, we have to look at this as areas, different chambers of our heart. There's four chambers of our natural heart, but I wonder if there's many, many chambers of our spiritual heart that has to be worked on and purified. But, you know, each time Jesus does that, his goal is to look down on our heart and say, oh, hey, I can see myself there that pleases him. He wants to see his love, his patience, his gentleness, his meekness, his endurance, all those wonderful qualities in us. We've mentioned, though, that this gold, this divine nature of Christ is developed in the furnace, the furnace of affliction. James talks about this. James 1 and verse 2 says, My brethren, count it all joy When you fall into diverse or many or manifold temptations or trials. Count it all joy. Why? Verse 3. Because we know, knowing this, that the trying of our faith produces patience. And if, verse 4, we let patience have her perfect work, we will become perfect, entire, lacking nothing. Well, that's the end result we want, right? I want to be perfect and complete, not lacking a single thing as I pass over to the other side. Not lacking anything that God wanted to develop and work in my life so that His image is seen in me. But boy, manifold trials. many di- As the Greek can mean, many different colors. There's a lot of colors in the rainbow. And there's a lot of colors in the spectrum We don't want to get into how many there's a lot, but God has, you know, sometimes we can go through those seasons where it seems like every new corner holds a new trial, but in these things, God is developing something beautiful so that with James, we can, we can recognize it at least, count it all joy. Okay, Lord, you're doing something in me, so I'm going to take a part of my heart and I'm going to rejoice in that because he's doing something the trying of our faith works patience trials you know trials are an opportunity to develop an aspect of his character and his beauty within us but of course it says let patience have her perfect work it's the idea of giving God room to complete what he started and if we do that we know the scripture says he is faithful to complete what he starts if we will allow him You know, and that patience have her her perfect work, not the idea of perfection, of never doing anything wrong, but of completion, a complete character, having the things deleted that need to be and added that need to be. Gold tried in the fire. Really, what it represents for us is perfected character, a nature that's been developed by God. And, you know, as we... Develop patience during the trials, as it says, we will become complete, lacking nothing. And this work will last for eternity. That's the beautiful thing. What we allow God to do now will last for a next. You know, I keep. I'm trying to think of numbers. The numbers keep increasing, especially when you think about money. Now we're into the trillions. Right now, they say we're, you know, get getting at least a. Uh, not too many years ago, the world's first trillion dollar company was there. And they, they say not, in not too long, the first trillionaire is going to, right? The numbers keep getting bigger, right? So instead of a million years or a billion years, we got to think of a trillion years from now, the work of God is still going to last. And that's worth more than any trillion dollars we could obtain in this life. That's one of the properties of gold that I think is really astounding. Gold can be formed into an image and it will endure almost indefinitely. There's actually very little on earth that can change gold <coughs> compared to other other metals. I was watching, I think I've shared this before, I was watching this documentary about a certain nation. They found a golden mask that in a, in a um, burial mound that had been buried for thousands of years. And they brought it out of the ground. They cleaned it a little bit and polished it. And, and it, it looked like the day they made it. It was so beautiful and bright. You know. And that's kind of a picture that, of the kind of work God wants to do in us. He wants to do an eternal work. The work of beauty he does in us lasts. And nothing can tarnish it. Think about silver. You know, I I actually like silver. I have a white gold ring, right? So that's kind of a silver color. I like silver, but yet the the metal silver is not really that appealing because it can so easily tarnish. You can make something silver and it's beautiful and a wonderful piece of jewelry or something. But if you let that go, it tarnishes and it turns a lovely shade of green, right? (laughs) What good is that? Something that's beautiful just for a short season, and then it turns ugly. In fact, it'll turn black after a while. And so we want the eternal work of God done in us. Gold, because it, it's that His work, when it's done, it's there for eternity. And so as we consider this Christmas season, we remember those gifts the wise men gave To to Jesus at his birth one of them being gold showing that Christ is the divine King of heaven that he came down for us so that we could ascend with him and be there for eternity he covered us with his divinity so we could enter heaven yet even more Christ is speaking to us that he wants to do that work of that divine work in our nature and in our hearts, so that when He looks down, or maybe when He looks at us when we enter heaven, it's like the the refiner looking at His his work, His uh, purified gold on earth, and He just sees His reflection. That's what Jesus wants to see when we enter heaven. That's the gift that we can give to Him. We want to be those like those wise men that give the King of kings beautiful gifts, kingly gifts, the best gift we can give him is our own transformed heart. Amen. Amen. Lord, we just thank you for the work that you've done, for the gift that you gave us of yourself, how you came to earth and humbled yourself and were obedient even unto the death on the cross, cross so that, Lord, we could be highly exalted with you as we follow you and Lord, we just look at, at what these gifts represent and the work of your spirit and your divine work in us. Lord, we just say, Lord, would you come and work within us? Lord, we recognize that it has to be a deep work. Lord, that we have to go through the fire. But Lord, in our spirits, we say yes. In our flesh, we, we struggle. But in our spirits, we say yes, oh God. Come and do that work. Lord, change us and transform us into your image. And Lord, help us to endure to the end and have that patience to continue. Oh, Lord, we just look to you today. Lord, we pray, transform our lives that we could enter heaven and give that gift to you of a, of a divine work. We thank you. and We bless you. Let your image be seen in us, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you.